I changed a song up on Walter and had him sing that today because it's so odd to say what I'm fixing to say. I went to Grandparents Day. That's just odd to say, isn't it? Why, Walter? You're getting old quick, buddy. You really are. Um, um, Eastwood had Grandparents Day. And uh, so Solomon, Bonnie Solomon, uh, goes to Eastwood Christian School in, in uh, Montgomery. And uh, so we went to Grandparents Day. And uh, I won't tell you what all we did, but what the children did was impressive. Uh, towards the end of their presentation, uh, the first through sixth graders sang in Christ alone. And uh, all four verses, by memory, uh, and when they got to that third verse about Him coming forth from the dead, I mean, they got with it, and uh, they were singing to the top of their lungs. And I have to be honest with you, I mean, it, it brought tears to your eyes. And it wasn't but about 100 children. It wasn't like it's a 500-voice choir, but it was... And so I, te- I was texting Walter with, as soon as they finished that I wanted to... Because that song is just so profound. If you read through each verse of what it's telling us about the plan of redemption and us being saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is powerful in Christ alone. Amen? Christ and Christ alone. Um, your Bible's open to John's Gospel, John chapter 15. John chapter 15... Robbie read an interesting passage in Isaiah. And, uh, and if you remember what that passage was about, it was about Israel, John chapter 15. And it was about Israel being God's vineyard. Now, this has everything to do with biblical worldview. Okay? And uh, so, if you all go all the way back to the Tower of Babel, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32 that you know the nations rebelled against God I mean, for, for the third or fourth time. So what he did at the Tower of Babel is he let the nations go. It, it just says that. He uses the word divorce. He divorced the nations. God did. And, and he says, I'm going to make my own people, which was Israel, right? Abraham. So a few years after the Tower of Babel, God calls Abraham. Abraham's a pagan. And God calls Abraham and says, basically, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And, and he, wasn't a young, he wasn't a young man when that happened, but you know he's going to be 99 or so when he has children. But, but God says, I'm going to make a people out of who I choose. I've rejected the nations. So he calls Abraham, and Abraham, he marries Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And Abraham's descendants eventually were called the Israelites. Right? Jacob and the twelve tribes turned and Jacob became Israel and it became the nation of Israel. So when when Robbie was reading in Isaiah 5, it's a prophecy about Israel. Israel was God's vineyard. And God and if God plants a vineyard, think think of this. Just think how logical this is for as as a Christian. God planted a vineyard, he, he then he called it Israel. And what did he put? It says in Isaiah 5, God put something in the center of the vineyard. He put a, a wine vat. Because what are you supposed to get out of a vineyard? Wine, grapes. It's supposed to produce fruit, right? Good grapes. 
But, Robbie, what did it say it produced? Wild grapes. So, think of that. So, Israel, did Israel fulfill God's plan as the vineyard? No. Or the vine. They weren't. They weren't the true vine. They did not produce the fruit. Now, see, you're, you're thinking. So, th- there's meaning behind when Jesus says, of course, now, we're, we, we didn't live 2,000 years ago. But the people Jesus is speaking to are devout Jews. They know the story I just told, but they know it better than me and you. They live through it. Their descendants live through it. So when Israel failed, Jesus came in Israel's place. And He's the true vine. Now listen to me. Jesus, when He said in John 15, 1, I'm looking right here at my Bible. I am the true vine. Now this is the seventh of the I am statements, which are statements of deity, of part of the Godhead. Um, We mentioned that last week. Seven of them John records that Jesus said, reminding the world and those that heard Him, it would offend them because He was claiming to be God, equal with God. You know, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the resurrection. These statements, ego, e, me, in the Greek, ego, e, me, I am. So he's, he's referring to when Moses asked God, who's going to send you the fire? And who's going to, he said, tell him the I am sent you. Jesus is the I am. So he's God in human form. He says, I am the true vine. That's what he said. And, and so God has set aside Israel. They failed to produce the fruit God intended. And Jesus Christ is the true vine. And now... Now, think, think, think how logical God's plan of salvation is now in the New Covenant. Now, all over the world, it's not geographical, it's not in the Middle East, it's anywhere, people go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and folks can get saved. Because Jesus Christ is the true vine, right? Now, let me tell you something else that's amazing. If Jesus is the true vine, and we read all this last week, If Jesus is the true vine, if you're attached to Him, guess what happens? If you're attached to Him, what happens? You bear fruit. Because He is the true vine. See, it doesn't become something we have to speculate on. You will bear fruit when you abide in Christ. Now, if you want to think through that for a minute, take your Bibles, hold your finger at John 15, And go to Galatians. I I quoted part of this last week. uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Right? Those epistles. So I want you to go to Galatians 5 and see where, where he mentions in Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit. Now, so, so and that's why right after this, Jesus says, <clears throat> we'll get to it in a minute in, in John 15 and 16, but what's going to make you atta- your attachment to me effective is going to be the Spirit of God. A Spirit just like me, or God in spirit form, is going to come and tabernacle inside of you, and He's going to promote m- my character inside of you. So that's how this is going to work. I'm going to ascend to the Father, and that's going to be good for everybody because when I ascend, I'll send the Spirit, 
and he'll abide in believers. So everybody will have Jesus on the inside of them, so to speak, by spirit form. When the Spirit is in you, when you have the Spirit of Christ, just a second. I hate doing this in front of you, but if I don't, I'll lose my voice. It makes me think you think you're better than everybody else. Them sharp, those fancy preacher boys with $1,000 suits are always drinking their water. I think my whole wardrobe's not worth $1,000. But anyway, <clears throat> let's move on. It says, but... Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Walter and I were just talking. Um, That could be Disney, right? Doing all those things. Get rid of Disney. If you have Disney, uh, what's it called? Disney Advanced or Disney Plus? Get rid of it, okay? Disney and Disney Plus, you need to get rid of, okay? So idolatry, I'm reading a sorcerer. These are people that don't have the Spirit of God. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these, I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now remember, when we ended the sermon, I tacked this on to the end because I was out of time. Well, really not. but I was, but I wasn't. But um, Love, joy, peace are the first three fruit. We call them fruits of the Spirit. But leak if you're being legalistic about it, there's one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and it has all kind of tastes or flavors. The first three flavors are love, joy, and peace. And I showed you in John 15, at the end of John 14, and into John 15, the three characteristics that Jesus mentions is love, joy, and peace. Because He's mentioning what the Spirit's going to do. So, I find this just amazing that the Bible is so consistent. Um, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. So, for everybody who knows Christ, these are the characteristics of their nature. This is what the Spirit does in all believers. So go back to John chapter 15. Now, reading John 15, 1, it says, I am the true vine. It's very exclusive, right? Just like Israel, God, Israel was God's chosen people. And, and in that sense, they still are. Because, let me just say this, this law of eschatology, what's going to happen in the end of days. Those that believe how I believe Many of the promises that God made to Israel were never fulfilled. The land promises weren't fulfilled. Uh, Jesus ruling from the throne in Jerusalem has never been fulfilled. Unless you make it spiritual. But the Bible describes it as literal. So, one day He's going to restore Israel. But right now, it's the church age. Right? You see? It's the age of grace. 
So we preach Christ and Him crucified. The love of God on the cross. The love of God that's been manifested to us. That's what we're talking about because it's about that. So this message that we have is very exclusive. There's only one name. This is in Acts. Acts 4. One name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let me just say something real quick. You know... If there's denominations out there, and again, I'm not here to attack other denominations, but some believe in <clears throat> baptismal regeneration. Hold on. Baptismal regeneration is people who believe that, that when somebody goes through that water, that's what saves them. Baptismal regeneration is the same word for new birth. So they believe that saves them. And so we just refute that. There is no way baptism saves, right? It's just the Bible doesn't... It in no way indicates that you can be saved through baptism. So we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. Then I was thinking about the... uh, Thinking about the Catholics. And again, I'm not here to bash the Catholics, but they have mass. And... They believe in transubstantiation. So what they believe is a priest, when, when, the, when the Catholics go to Mass, when they, when they take the bread and the cup from the hand of the priest or the bishop, usually the priest, that priest has authority passed down symbolically from the vicar, the pope, vicar. The word vicar means in place of. So means... The Pope has taken the place of Christ and his authority has been passed down. So when this priest hands a person the cup and the bread or they drink it, they're actually drinking, is what they believe, they're actually drinking the blood and eating the flesh of Christ and that brings salvation. We just think that's absolutely crazy, right? Don't we? That's, that's, that's why we're Protestants. We protested that 500 years ago. Protestants through the Reformation. But let me tell you our problem. I'm part of it. Is we've promoted for about 50 years, and it's not as bad now as it once was, but we promoted for 50 years what I like to call decisional regeneration. Okay? Decisional. That you, you can decide on your own without any movement of God that you're going to be saved. It's a decision. Well, it's not a decision. I'm, I'm in John 15, okay? I want you to look at verse 16. <clears throat> I am so sorry. Look at verse 16. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You did not choose me, but I chose you. See, this is about, when you talk about salvation, it's not about my decision. It's about God's Word and God's Spirit being preached and the Spirit moving and God calling you under under salvation. God calling you to be saved. We call it the will to believe. He makes you willing to believe this gospel 
which honestly is a hard message, that the crucifixion of a Jewish man 2,000 years ago on a cross, the belief in that will save you from your sins. But it's true. Amen? It's true. So it's not about decisions. See, we all get upset about baptismal regeneration, but when people talk about they decided, that bothers me. Because if they don't mention repentance and faith and the Spirit of God, those things have to be present uh, in order to be saved. Well, I've chased that rabbit long enough, right? You're open to John chapter 15. We read, I think, the first five or six verses, but the rest of this morning I want to pick up uh, at verse, uh, with your Bibles open, to verse... uh, Well, let's pick up where I just finished. chapter, Chapter 15, verse 16. And just make a couple of points. We've got a few minutes. Let me just... So, <clears throat> you did not choose me, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father... Now, this is about bearing fruit, right? This is about Christ's likeness. This is about... Obedience. It's not about perfect health. It's not about riches. It, you know, it, it's it's under the guise of being Christ-like, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. These things I command you, so you will love one another, folks. Um, Jesus has already said to the disciples, and He'll say it again in John 17, this is the mark of salvation for us, that there is this incredible love that we have for our brothers. John takes it a step further when he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but in 1st John, he attacks those who say they love Christ, but don't love their brother. Like, in, in, in our context we would say those that say I love Jesus but don't love the people in the church John calls them a liar he's saying you can't know Christ and not love the brothers in the church so part of our salvation and and Jesus says I've given you these commands commanded you so that you will, will hey by the way let me show you something else Look what he says in verse 16. He says, so that your fruit should abide. Have you ever thought about, statistically, I didn't bring the numbers with me, and I didn't, but what the statistics, what's the word I'm trying to say? Statistics would be, when I bear fruit, my, if you bear fruit, your fruit remains. Right? And it means being Christ-like, obedience, whatever word you want to use, being a disciple, uh, a true follower, whatever word you want to use, but being obedient to Scripture, that my fruit abides. How long is that going to last? Forever. Forever. So fruits that I'm bearing now, they will abide. And so... There'll be, there'll be rewards now, but the Bible says there's going to be rewards there in heaven because of my abiding now. I don't think about that a lot, but that's true. 
sorry, I'm, verse 18. So Jesus here, when he's talking about our abiding in him, now he's going to talk about this, this conflict that you and I are going to have and this conflict that we're having is with the world. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That word hate is a very aggressive word. It, it means to detest. Um, it even has the word, the word, the root word, is related to being chased down and abused. I mean, it is a very, very aggressive word. So if the world hates you, as in like, pers- like they will follow and persecute you kind of thing, if the world hates you, Jesus says, know that it hated me before it hated you. But if you were of, says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as it's on. Now, folks, this isn't, this isn't the only time Christ is going to talk about worldliness. He's going to do it again in John 17. But all through the writings of John, in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, probably the most common word used about what our conflict is with is with the world. And and when we use the word world, um, it's it's from the word... our, Our English word cosmetic comes from the root word. But cosmos is the original Greek word. In, co- in cosmos or cosmetic, it's, it's, it's what it fashions and what it makes the world look like. What the devil uses for the world to attract us to things. And, and, and uh, Paul, Paul made this statement in, in Romans 12 where he says, Do not be conformed to the world. And conformed is the word to press. And you, the scholars do this. You can translate that to press into a mold. So that's what the world... The world has a way they want us to live. And now they're trying to press us into that mold. And you find when you read from the words of Jesus, the world is our enemy. How the world says we ought to live is foreign to biblical obedience. So, so it's interesting that whether it's 2,000 years ago or today... Worldly belief, worldly priorities is an enemy of Christian living. And, and, and so all of us, you know, we all struggle. This, that's our, my biggest struggle is worldliness. Because it keeps beckoning for you to be like the world. And, and uh, so you're trying to discern what's the best decision. It's, just, it's tough. It really is. So the world hates you, know that it first hated me. If you were of the world, the world would love, it, love you as it's on. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. I love that because the word church has that word in it. The, the very word church is out of, and assembly, to call out, an assembly, uh, a calling out. So, we're not in the world. We've been called out of the world. By the way, that's how we reach the world. We have to be different. You know, 
when I was studying this week, I was thinking, how many times, I'm not going to ask you, I'm going to answer for myself. I'll give you my answer. I'm not going to ask you to stand and testify. But how many times in your life has, has your living, your lifestyle, influenced somebody to repentance and faith? Mine's two. I'm 61 years old, fixed to be 62. Two times in my life have I had somebody come to me, not because of what I said. Other people may have said something, but they talked about the change that that they had seen in me and the consistency that I was not like the rest of the world, so to speak. That's kind of their terminology and that they, un, they believed that, that the faith that I had was real. That's kind of the terminology they used. Now, that's, that's not the only people that I've led to Christ or been a part of their salvation, but as far as living a certain kind of... But, but our lives ought to be attractive to people that are, that are in the bondage of sin. And, and, and really, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking me. But other than Sundays, how much, how different are you than the rest of the world? Uh, where you go, where you spend your money, well, you know, a lot of us are more worldly than we think, but what's different in us? What have we done to step out from the world? And uh, do the, does the world, maybe that's why we're not persecuting. Or that is the reason why we're not persecuting. Is we, we, we like to be liked. We like to be liked by the world, so we don't do. We we just we try to live comfortable. I love that word. Well, I don't love the world, but we want to be comfortable Christians, and and we, we don't want to get too radical. We don't want to stand out. We just want to. That's true of me. I'm I'm your pastor. And that's true of me too. So so Christ is calling out this this spirit of worldliness. Let's fin- let me finish the text here because I just want to make mention of a couple of things. He says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. <clears throat> By the way, Jesus said that. Hold your Bible that. Go back to John 13, okay? Go back to John 13. Now, I'm going to read a little bit more than just the verse where he said it. But go back to 13, 12, okay? <clears throat> when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, isn't that incredible? And we, it was our theme a couple of years ago. Uh, about Christ washing the disciples' feet. Does he wash their feet the night of his betrayal in the night before his death? I recently saw a, a very expensive painting of, of when Jesus confronted Judas at the Last Supper. And you can see Judas... Jesus points out Judas is going to reject him and betray him. And see, they're at the table, the Last Supper table in the upper room. And by the way, Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches and they have all in front of them cups of grape juice. So 
from the vine, fruit of the vine. But so Judas is leaving, has been confronted, and you see Judas leaving with this astonished look on his face, and everybody sitting at the table wondering what's going on. Robbie, you know where I saw it, didn't you? Yeah, so at a church in Orlando. But anyway, we had to go, you don't care, touring. But anyway, so, but talking about just that, that moment where he separates, and, and Jesus is going to have that last supper, and he, he makes, he separates Judas, that one unbeliever from the body, before he does the elements of the Lord's Supper, it to me is just absolutely profound. So he, uh, somebody tell me what verse I was at. 12. When he had washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. That word example is an interesting word. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. That's the first time Jesus said that. And now we're back over here in John chapter 15 where Jesus makes reference to the same statement when he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than the master. So what he's told them in John 13 is, Just as I washed your feet, I, I, I gave you this example. It's not an ordinance. Some churches think it's an ordinance. It's an example. It's not a command. I give you an example that you should do the same spiritually and, and symbolically to one another as I have done to you. So we're, we're supposed to be servants. That's the example of our master. Uh, he, he, he demonstrated, uh, he lowered himself and washed their feet. And, and all of us should be, you know, I think uh, we even have shirts. We did the shirts, the wash basin and the towel. And, and it's a reminder that every moment of every day, we, we ought to live like people that wash other people's feet the brothers. I mean, that's how we should act. But now he's got another, he has another thing he wants to say. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than the master. And then here's the second one. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know Him who sent me. The, 2,000 years ago, the reason that the apostles and the first century believers were persecuted is they didn't believe the Father sent the Son. You and I do believe that the Father sent the Son, and we're telling the world that, and the world does not like that. It's because we believe in the exclusivity of salvation. Salvation is not an act of man, it's the will of God. It's not through opinions, it's through biblical truth. This is how people are saved. And all true people that are saved bear fruit. Jesus says that because He's the true vine. You know, the wine press has been set aside. That's no longer in Israel. Jesus is the true vine, and everybody that's attached to Him is going to bear fruit. Let me show you something that's just interesting to close on, Okay. Um, take your Bibles and go to the Old Testament. Go to Numbers. Okay? Go, go to Numbers. And uh, this is just something to uh, 
interesting, and it makes an application, but, but go to, um, num- I'm such a big book, Numbers 13. Numbers 13. This is the spying out of the land, okay? This is when the Israelites were spying out of the land. This is when they sent the spies into the Holy Land to spy it out because God had told them, go conquer that land. We know, you know the time frame, and so God had said, you're going to win. I want you to go into the land. I'll give you victory, okay? So, so Moses sends the spies in to check out. There's 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel, and they go spy out the land. But I just want to pick up at uh, 21. So they, they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to, to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, uh, Ahaman and Sishai. And Talmud, aren't you glad you're not saying that? The descendants, and here's the whole point, the descendants of Anak. Now, if you write in your Bibles, and I do, you might want to underline Anak, okay? Anak was a giant, okay? A tribe of giants and giants. It says, where there, the, the descendants of Anak were there. And then it has a side note. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Giving you a time frame. And they came to the valley of Eschol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. A single, we bought some grapes the other day at, at um, um, wasn't it, um, Walmart, I buy them at Walmart, Diane buys them across the street. I forgot the name of that place. I want to give it, you know, Aldi's. Diane likes Aldi's. And it doesn't matter about the grapes. Yes, it does. I mentioned it. So, so I like grapes. They're good. But, but look what it says. Now, there's so much to this. We don't have time to pursue it. But, but I want you to think, this is the land they're inheriting. They're, they're going to inherit the promised land. They don't do it. And they have to wander for 40 years. And everybody 20 and above die wandering in this wilderness for 40 years. But, but he, this is what he says. It says, in a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought uh, some pomegranates and figs. The whole point is, in the land of Anak, not only were there giant people, there were giant fruit bearing, right? If you have to carry a cluster of grapes on a stick between two people, that is big grapes. Amen? This, listen, this fruitful land, God intended for them to inherit. Okay? This, fruit, this fruitful land, God wanted them to inherit. Now, they didn't. And they surrendered 40 years by wandering around in the wilderness bearing no fruit. Folks, of course, they were scared. And it says that. They're giants. 
Not only is there giant grapes, there's giants that grow those grapes. And we, don't, we like the grapes, but we don't want to fight the giants. Well, folks, just play on words. There's, there's new giants out there everywhere. I'm not talking about physical stature. I'm saying spiritually, we're facing the giants. But if we're going to bear fruit, we've got to do what Jesus says. We've got to abide in the vine. That's the only way we're going to bear fruit. Amen? In a world full of spiritual giants, you better abide in the true vine. And that's when he said, you'll bear fruit, bear more fruit, and then you'll bear much more fruit. Amen? We do have a special guest with us, a special guest with, well, not a guest, but someone special with us this morning. And uh, <clears throat> Tim, Marion, is he able, does he feel like walking up here with us? I mean, you can carry him, bring him. <clears throat> I normally just say all the ordained men, but I'm not going to say that. Um, I, uh, TJ, uh, man, he asked me. He, he had his dad send me a text. Come on, T, just stand down for a Send me a text and said, I'd like for y'all to pray for me. I'm going to try to be at church tomorrow. So what do you do? You pray for him, amen? We... We earnestly prayed for him last Sunday. Uh, Marianne or Tim, one of y'all, just tell the church a little bit about where... Thank you. Thank you so much, Robbie, for doing that. Tell us a little bit about where we are. One of y'all, Tim. And in about four weeks, they'll put him back in him. So he'll have a transplant. And how, what they call it a, what kind of, is it a? Car T cell transplant. Okay. But y'all can still stay here and do it. You don't have to go anywhere. No, but we don't have, we, um, because we, it was, um, his CD19 was positive, we can stay here. And that was answered prayer. Okay. So, because <clears throat> th there was a chance they were going to have to go somewhere else to get all this done, but because of a certain thing, they're not. Okay, here's how we're going to do it. I want us to lay hands on TJ, but I'm just not going to limit it to the deacons. So, if you're physically able, now listen, you can pray right where you are, and there's nothing unspiritual about that. But if you're physically able and you would like to, I'm going to invite you to come and we're going to together lay hands on TJ and we're going to pray for him. So you come on, come on. Many of you won't be able to touch him, but others can touch us who are touching him and symbolically God understands what we're trying to do. <clears throat> and folks, so <clears throat> I want you to know that healing... There is a healing, and God's promised us the greatest healing, and, and TJ knows that. And, and, uh, but selfishly, and because we love Him in the physical realm, we want God to give Him a physical victory. We want a physical healing. Amen? Amen. So that's what we want. But we love the Lord Jesus, and we're going to trust Him. But we're going to pray blessings. I'm just going to voice a short prayer Hey, that doesn't mean you can't pray out loud too. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, you might want to pray out loud while I pray, but let's, I want to voice just a, a prayer and let's pray together for TJ and his sweet family.
Father, <clears throat> as I've thought all morning about this, I, I, I know we've been here before. And Father, we've, we've experienced just a small portion of the burden and, and the struggle that TJ has had for over six years. We've kind of watched and observed and we've grieved with him and hurt for his mom and dad and shared words of concern. And, and Lord, even often feeling like we, we could help by, by providing some financial assistance, Lord, but, but now we're here again. And Father, we... Uh, We know you're the great physician. We, we read the scriptures and, and Father, you do heal and you do heal today. And so our first plea, heartfelt plea, dear God, is that all the things that are planned beyond my understanding, but all the things, research and diagnoses do what they think they need to do I pray that everything that's done will be to restore this young man Father eradicate use those treatments and to eradicate that disease and God not only that but keep him strong restore his strength But Father, even more important than all that, I pray that your precious word and Holy Spirit will comfort him. Father, bless this young man today. and God, just be merciful to him. And for Tim and for Marianne, oh God, we love them. And we, we groan with them. We hurt with them. And we're anxious with them. But Lord, we're going to be the body of Christ that's going to surround them. God, we're going to see this through. We're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to fight with TJ. And we're going, to, we're going to see this through. Father, I, I thank you that, that Jesus is our victor. And uh, we know the end of the story. We're more than victorious through Him who loved us and died for us. Father, we win. We win. Father, bless TJ now and in the days to come. We do pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you, TJ. God bless your heart. I'm, hey, while you're here, thank you. That was a good announcement. She told me. Yeah, so pot, he forgot. <laughs> potluck Wednesday night. We'll have chicken. You bring the rest. All right? Bring some grapes. I'll eat them. Thank you. Thank y'all so much.